Hi there, I'm Rich Herring. You're listening to Rich Herring's Meaning of Life, a new series in which we explore the big questions of life via comedy and animation, which isn't going to be much good for you listening to this. Why don't you go and watch it at www.vimeo.com slash channels slash rhmol. There, we are giving away uh, the episodes for free on video and audio, but there are longer versions of both video and audio that you can download at www.gofasterstripe.com slash rhmol. Um, those longer versions include the full interviews we do with the expert each week, uh, but um, in each show, I should say. But I just wanted to give you an example of that. This is going, what you're going to listen to now is the very first interview with Marcus Chown about the creation of the universe in full. Um, uh, so it just gives you an idea of how much extra material there is waiting for you if you do go and subscribe to the Pay For channel. There's also lots more stand-up as well. I'd say there's at least another 15, 20 minutes of stand-up. I haven't actually counted it up. Uh, if you want to get that on audio, it's £6 for the whole series. If you want to get it on video and audio, it's £15 for the whole series. You get both an HD and an SD video version of that, and you'll get the full, long show. If you just want to donate some money, go to www.gofasterstripe.com slash rhmol and you will be able to make various donations, either just a one-off payment of a pound or more, or per month, a pound per month, or more if you want. And all that money goes to fund other projects. Uh, we're paying for this all ourselves. The, just doing this series is costing us about £20,000. So if you want to have more, I can't keep doing these uh, without some input from you. Uh, I am just producing these with Go, Chris Evans from Go for Not that one, the one from Go Faster Stripe. Uh, so we really do need your support with this. If you were able to give us a pound a month uh, on that page, then if you all did that, we'd be able to make some fantastic content for the internet and all that money is just going to be ploughed back into making new stuff if we can make any profit from this first series and if we don't make any profit if we make a loss that will be the end of that this particular show or shows like it so it's in your hands i see you as kind of mini medicis you're kind of page micro patrons uh giving us a tiny slice of money of to, to hopefully make stuff you like I know a lot of people think they don't shouldn't have to pay for things on the internet or they don't want to pay for things on the internet and that's fine I think if it's a big business is making it but we are making this ourselves with our own money and we're really only asking for a tiny amount in return and you don't even have to give that we're still giving you free stuff if you really can't afford to pay or you really just don't want to then at the very least please tell your friends about this project both on here on iTunes, British Comedy Guide, and also at the vimeo.com slash channel slash slash rhmol. Uh, and hopefully that will help us in any case. Thank you for listening. That is it. To find out more about the scientific ideas uh, of the creation of the universe, will you please welcome the cosmology correspondent from the new scientist? It's Marcus Chown, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome. Come on in. Sit down. You, you could have dressed up. That's all I'm saying. I've put on an ill-fitting suit for this. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much. So I just kind of want an explanation, really, in simple terms, more simple than Stephen Hawking's manages, <laughs> um, of what the Big Bang actually is. Right. OK. <laughs> Well, when we look out at the universe, uh, we see something like 100 billion galaxies. They yeah. are the building blocks of the universe. You know, one of them is the Milky Way that we live in. And they're all flying apart from each other. Yeah. 
Uh, and so if we kind of imagine that kind of expansion running backwards like a movie in reverse, we come to a time 13.82 billion years ago when everything was compressed into a tiny, tiny volume. And when you squeeze something into a very small volume, it gets very hot. Have you mm. ever squeezed the air in a bicycle pump? The, um, the tomatoes uh, tried to do that. <laughs> they didn't get hot. They just kind of so went on Stephen Hawkins' book. This, this, yeah, so this compressed... <laughs> so this compressed region, 13.8 billion years ago, was very hot. It was like a fireball, like the fireball of a yeah. nuclear explosion. But when you think of a, uh, an explosion, it could be a stick of dynamite or whatever, after a, an hour or a day or whatever, the, the heat dissipates into the environment. But yeah. the, the fireball of the Big Bang was bottled up inside the universe. It had nowhere to go. So the heat's all around us today. So that's the second piece of uh, evidence that the universe began in a hot, dense phase. If you tune a, um, a television between the stations, something like 1% of the static or snow you see on the screen has come from the Big Bang. It's the heat of the Big Bang. Yeah. But where did the stuff come from that was in the Big Bang? Where did that come from? Well, that's very interesting because... How big uh, was the, the Big Bang? How was the big was the piece yeah. of super-concentrated well, piece of well, matter? Let's, let's just say, first of all, that the, the, the basic Big Bang idea is that the yeah. universe started in this hot, dense phase has been expanding and cooling ever since, and out of that cooling debris have congealed the galaxies like a Milky Way. Uh, but this, this, this model yeah. uh, fails to predict what we observe in the universe in three incredibly major ways. And so three things have to be bolted on to this model to make sense of it. And one of them is called inflation, and it, it begins to answer your question. Right. Begins to? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to go into it? Yeah, I do. I okay. would like to know. Okay, right. Um, I won't tell you why it's bolted on. We can edit it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I might sound quite certain about all this. Okay. But I ought to tell you that, that we've only ever seen 2% of the universe. Yeah. 98% of it's invisible. Yeah. So this amazing edifice of the Big Bang Theory is built on the 2% we can see. So yeah, and you know there's loads of stuff, right, in the universe. If you notice, when you look out, there's big stars and stuff. I just, my, my, that's my problem, is how it all fitted into the original bit. Yeah. That is... Because <laughs> it's all very well saying it's all come from there, but it must have been quite a yeah. big clump. OK. Common sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can, we can answer the question, yeah. what was the Big Bang, what drove the Big Bang, and what happened before the Big Bang? We can answer that. But, yeah. but you'll probably ask, want to know what happened before the thing I'm going to tell yeah, you about. I do. Yeah, Never mind. <laughs> Basically, um, the, the vacuum of, of empty space uh, in, is, is actually not empty. According to quantum theory, it's seething with energy. And it doesn't necessarily have to have the, the energy of our, our empty space, our vacuum. It, it can have a, a higher energy. So the vacuum has energy states like uh, an atom. Okay, so the idea is that the universe began in a, in a high-energy state. And this state had two amazing properties. One... Uh, it had repulsive gravity, so that this bit of this inflationary vacuum—I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, doesn't I've it? I've got that. <laughs> <laughs> so this bit of vacuum started inflating. Yeah. And its second property is that when it when it doubled in size, it doubled the amount of energy it had. So it's, imagine if you've got a, a stack of um, banknotes, you know, and it, between your hands, and you double the distance between your hands, you get twice as many banknotes. That's the way the vacuum behaved. Oh, wow, that's good. I mean, physicists call it the, the ultimate free lunch. Yeah. So basically, this, this bit of inflationary vacuum started expanding 
and, um, and, and gaining more and more energy, but it was a quantum thing. Now, quantum means that it was basically fundamentally uh, unpredictable and random. So, so imagine this, this, this vacuum. It's got nothing in it. Uh, it's, it's expanding ever faster. And all over it, tiny little bubbles are forming where it randomly decays into ordinary vacuum. So it's in this high-energy state, but it randomly decays into our vacuum. Okay? What's it like inside these little bubbles in this vast ocean of vacuum that's expanding? Well, the energy of this super-high vacuum has to go somewhere, and it goes into creating matter, and it goes into to, to heating it to a tremendous temperature. It goes into making Big Bang universes. So in this model, it turns out that the Big Bang is not a one-off. These, these little Big Bang universes are going off all over this vacuum like, like, like firecrackers, randomly, and we're in one of them. Okay? Right. Now you're going to say, where did the inflationary vacuum come from? <laughs> I'm not just going to say, uh, I've got quantum things in my dishwasher quantum tablets <laughs> and you never know what's going to happen sometimes stuff comes out clean but sometimes it's really dirty <laughs> so I guess that's why yeah yeah it, yeah. it could be it could be yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah where did the quantum vacuum come from okay so basically what what drove what, what was the big bang yeah the big bang yeah that's was, what I want to know what was the big bang yeah was that's a decay it. of this inflationary vacuum locally into ordinary vacuum creating this little big bang but these big bangs are going off all over the, in other places as well right um, and, and what what dro- other places? There wasn't any places. <laughs> well, <I know. laughs> well, yeah, that's a hard, that's a hard one to answer. Yeah, so basically, um, it was the decay of this, this, this high-energy vacuum that created these little Big Bang universes, and we're in, we're in one of these Big Bang bubbles. And the question of what happened before, well, there are other Big Bangs going off all over this vacuum. Now, the interesting thing is, um, it, it turns out that the laws of quantum theory... You just mentioned quantum theory. Quantum theory is our most successful uh, physical theory. It explains why um, you know, it, it's given us lasers and computers and nuclear reactors. It explains why this stage is solid, why the sun shines, all that kind of stuff. So quantum theory uh, allows things to happen for no reason at all. So it allows energy to... Convenient, then. It's, it's, incre- convenient. it's incredibly convenient. <laughs> <laughs> it allows uh, energy to just come out of nowhere for no reason. Right. Okay? So, <laughs> it, so it allows a, a... You are just allowed to say you don't know. No, so no, I no. That's a, you know, so I don't know what happened. We're just making this up. We get this good guess. You know, it, so basically, it allows a, uh, an effect without a cause. Okay? So how much inflationary vacuum do you need to get things started? You need about a kilogram, equivalent of a kilogram of mass. So basically, quantum theory allows a kilogram of inflationary vacuum to appear out of nothing for no reason. And then it begins inflating... And as it decays, all these big bang users form. So, you know, you know, the next question is probably going to be, okay, uh, that's all right, a kilogram comes out of nowhere. Where did the laws of quantum theory come from? It wasn't going to be, but yeah, it's, it's good, it's good. <laughs> I like you, you just make up your own questions as well. <laughs> Makes my job a lot easier. Where did they come from? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Don't ask me, that's why I've got you on. <laughs> I mean, it could well be, but it seems very likely that... that we're never going to be able to, to be able to answer this ultimate yeah. question. There's always going to be this before question. Um, but interestingly, the laws of physics uh, are exactly the same laws that we would have if there was nothing in the universe. Um, there was, a, there was a, 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 a woman physicist, 1918, called Emmy Noter, that hardly anyone knows of, and she, she proved that beneath every law of physics 
there is a symmetry, a deep symmetry. So something that, that, that uh, you know, you do something to something, it doesn't change anything. So, for instance, the, 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 if you take the law that energy can never be created or destroyed, the law of conservation of energy, that comes from a symmetry of space. The, the fact that if you do an experiment, uh, or a symmetry of, of time, so if you do an experiment today, same experiment, you do it tomorrow, or next week, you get the same result. And that leads to that. that. And it turns out that every single law of physics is a reflection of one of these symmetries. And all of these symmetries apply to empty space. So actually, our universe has the same laws as if it had nothing in it. So maybe that, that, that helps explain the question, how did something come from nothing? Because the universe is actually nothing. It's structured nothing. <laughs> but it's actually nothing. So... <laughs> if, you think of, if you think of something like uh, water, uh, when, when it's, um, uh, it's, it's symmetric, so it's the same in all places. If, you, if it gets colder, the most stable state is ice. And ice has got bubbles in it and cracks in it, so it, it's got structure. So maybe the universe has gone from nothing to structured nothing because structured nothing is more stable. <laughs> <laughs> Is it possible the Big Bang was created by a wanking god? <laughs> that could be the impetus behind it. And then, that, then it sort of shoots off, doesn't it? And, that's sort of, well. and then that all flies around. or the glob. You know when you have a wank in the bath? <laughs> like it, so then it sort of all sticks yeah. in your hair and stuff, doesn't it? <laughs> Maybe it's like that. Have, have you well, considered that? No. <laughs> just throwing it out no, there. No, but let's just say, you know... It's very difficult to get a satisfactory explanation for the beginning of the universe, but, but you know, it's fantastic we're even attempting it, and we do have a scientific... The basic Big Bang model is correct, because we, we, we have the evidence of the heat radiation left over from the fireball, we can see the universe expanding, but all these other things have been bolted on. Uh, but we're beginning, you know... We can begin to ask questions which previously were the preserve of theology, and, yes. and have some chance of answering them in maybe the next 10, 15 years. We'll come back in 15 years. Have you, have, is it possible, though, and the universe is expanding now, but what if the universe was all shooting towards the same point and then everything just slightly missed each other just by luck and then it's expanding out again? That you have clearly haven't read Brief History of Time <laughs> because that was the thing that Stephen Hawking proved. Right. This is why, how he made his name with Roger Penrose. He proved he, that, did he? He proved, <laughs> he proved because that, that, you know, the, the universe, according to Einstein's theory of gravity, had to have begun in a singularity. So everything was actually concentrated at a single point. Now, people thought, as you did, that maybe, you know, as, as, if you imagine the expansion running backwards, some of the stuff would miss that point. Yeah. But Hawking and Penrose proved their, their, their singularity theorems in about 1965 that that was impossible. And so the universe had to have begun as a singularity. But singularity is a, is, a, is a point of infinite density and temperature. It's totally ridiculous. It shows you that your theory is wrong. Uh, and what we, what we realise is that, that Einstein's theory of gravity is wrong, but we need to combine it with quantum theory, and, and we will do, then find out what the Big Bang really Einstein's was. Einstein's theory is wrong. Of, of well, gravity. Well, the, the, because Newton's was wrong, and then Einstein yes. made a better yeah, one. Yeah, it has and then this, it shows Einstein's wrong as well. Absolutely. Do I you mean, naturally know what's all the answers, but you're just stringing it out so you can sell more books? I don't know any... 
No, actually, I'm, I'm very, very happy to admit that I don't know most of the answers, yeah. and, and that's what really excites me about science, that, that most of the interesting questions we haven't answered yet, and we, you know, I'm, so I'm quite happy to say to you, I don't know if you yeah. ask me the, that question. Okay. So you don't know about the wanking one, that's, that's <laughs> definitely true. Um, what... How loud, how loud was the Big Bang? How loud is it? How loud? It's, it's, it was it quite doesn't loud. Sound, well, it, yeah, quite loud. Because Big Bang doesn't sound that impressive. Yeah. If, is it, did it definitely make a noise? Cause it's, yes, it did. if a tree falls in the forest and no-one's around to hear? Well, it, I mean, obviously, there was nobody to hear it, but, yes, it did make a noise because uh, uh, sound is simply a, you know, you, 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 know, you clap your hands and, and you, what you do is you compress the... Yeah, near you, and, and you you put in you set in train uh, a, a sequence of uh, compressions and rarefactions of the air, you know, which travel, and and that happens in any gas like air, and the, and the fireball of the Big Bang was a gas. It was an electrically charged gas known as a plasma, but it was a gas, and the Big Bang was very violent. So this there Is was some. Exactly. Louder than that, or lou- a bit louder a bit than louder that? Than yeah, that. yeah. So it was shaken. And those sound waves, we can actually... have been picked up by uh, two, two um, satellites which looked at the afterglow, the heat, afterglow of the heat of the Big Bang, Kobe and uh, another one called, in 1993, and another one called the Wilkinson an- anisotro- Microwave Anisotropy Probe in 2001. I think you're going to play it, aren't you? We have got this. We've got the sound of the Big Bang. Do you want to listen to it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. I should, I should tell you that the sound of the Big Bang was very deep. Yes. Far too deep for you to hear. So that's actually been boosted in frequency by a million times okay. for you to hear it. But basically, the, the, the Big Bang was like... I mean, if you can imagine, like, water sloshing around in a bath, yeah. the, the stuff of the Big Bang, the plasma of the Big Bang, was sloshing around, and, and it was producing all kinds of different waves, sound waves, and those, you just heard them. Sounds a bit like a bloke going, No! Shit! <laughs> Don't turn that Hadron Collider off! Yeah. But incredibly, from those, from, those different, <laughs> from those different sound waves, it's possible to deduce loads and loads of things about the early universe, about yeah. what it was made of, uh, all kinds of things. So, what did it smell like? Well, <laughs> that's a hard one, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Now, well, well, first of all, there were no atoms until it cooled. Uh, so uh, atoms first formed about 385,000 years after the moment of creation. That yeah. was when the universe was cool enough for electrons and nuclei to combine to make atoms. And the first atoms that were made were the light atoms like hydrogen and helium. I don't think they smell. Things like lithium, boron, beryllium. Is there a chemist here? Does lithium or boron or beryllium, do they smell? No. No, you don't. <laughs> Okay, well, it didn't smell of anything. That guy so basically, well. uh, all the heavy elements. Uh, I think isn't it bromium means smelly, doesn't it? I think bromium means smelly in Greek. It's like being with John Lloyd again, isn't it? How many chemicals are there in a carrot? I don't know. Um, um, don't ask um, me. I don't know anything. That's why you're here. And most uh, of the mostly heavy elements in you were made inside stars, so you would have had to wait, you know, a, a, at least a few hundred million years before it actually happened. So in yeah. the beginning, it didn't smell. Didn't smell. Well, that's yeah. that's good to know. Because my big bangs do, do smell quite bad. Um, uh, <laughs> but the, the thing is, you're admitting that scientists' journey to this amazing theory, starting with people like Ptolemy and going on, yeah. is littered with uh, grievous errors. 
So uh, what do yes. you think in 100 years' time people will look back and go, oh, yeah, that's what they thought in 2013, the idiots? Is there anything that you yes. think? Yeah. yeah, most of it probably. Probably, uh, yeah. but, but, but no, it's interesting what you say because Anaxagoras was a Greek and in, I think in about, uh, oh, God, what was it, 400 BC or whatever, he said that the sun was a large flaming ball of rock a little, a little bit bigger than Greece. Right. So you were talking about Archbishop Usher being yeah. very precise and being wrong. I mean, that's an amazing case of someone being incredibly precise and incredibly wrong. But, of course, I suppose he only knew about Greece, so he thought the sun was yeah. bigger than Greece. But if you take today... Um, it doesn't look that big in the sky. That's the problem. When you yeah. look at it, it looks quite small. Yes. <laughs> but then, um, um, if you think of the model, I, I told you that the model... I'll t- to tell you why the model doesn't, uh, of the Big Bang doesn't work. Uh, well... <laughs> It works when we bolt things on. Uh, one of them is it predicts that the expansion of the universe should be slowing um, because gravity between all the galaxies should be slowing them from flying apart. Imagine that you know, the galaxies are kind of connected by a, an invisible elastic web or something. Well, in 1998, we discovered that contrary to our expectations, the universe is expanding faster. And we had to, we had to postulate the existence of this stuff called dark energy, it's invisible, fills all the space, it's got repulsive gravity, you know, accounts for 73% of the unit mass of the universe. And then another way that the Big Bang doesn't, uh, uh, basic model doesn't uh, predict what we see is it predicts that we should not be sitting here, you shouldn't be sitting here listening to me waffling about the Big Bang today, because it predicts that the galaxies, well, if, if you think uh, originally the, the Big Bang, we know it was a, a pretty uniform fireball, it was, there were some slight irregularities in it, places that were slightly denser than the rest, and they had slightly stronger gravity, and they dragged in material a bit more quick, quickly than their surroundings and got bigger. Kind of in a process like the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. <laughs> this process could not have built galaxies like uh, Milky Way in 13.82 billion years. You'd need about 10 times as long. So we've had to postulate the existence of, of a large amount of, of dark matter Okay, about six times as much as is visible. And this dark matter doesn't give out any light or doesn't give out any light that we can detect. And we know of its existence only because of its gravity. So its extra gravity is what dragged in all the material and made the Milky Way. So we've bolted on inflation, dark matter, and dark energy. If I just tell you about... You were just asking me about what we think will be wrong. Um, if If we use quantum theory, our very best physical theory, to predict the energy of the dark energy, that's the empty stuff in the universe, the empty the vacuum, we get a number which is one followed by 120 zeros bigger than what we observe. That's the biggest discrepancy between an observation and a prediction in the history of science. So I'm guessing there's something wrong there. But I think there's some huge missing idea, which you were just talking about, in 50 years' time or whatever, there is some massive missing idea that's going to make sense of all this stuff. Because at the moment we have the basic Big Bang model, which we know is correct, but ad hoc, we've bolted on all these, all these things. It's a real, do you remember you were talking about the Greeks, uh, and, and, the, and the Greeks, um, they thought that the planets orbited in circles, because circles were perfect. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course... They didn't seem to. So they thought, well, as the planets move around the Earth, they, 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 go, they describe little circles within circles and circles within circles. And they're adding all these epicycles. And it does look very much as if that's what we're doing, that our Big Bang model doesn't fit, so we keep adding a dark matter epicycle, an inflation epicycle, a dark energy epicycle. And if we talk about dark matter, people talk about hot dark matter, cold dark matter, 
tepid dark matter. They're adding all these things all the time. So, um, and from outside, it looks, looks really stupid. It does bit. You could do, you could do tepid, quite, not quite as dark as the other dark stuff, but yes. still quite dark. Yeah, it's you funny, can't I... really see it, but it's not, it's not as dark. You just mentioned the book that I wrote, and, and I wrote it. It was about everything from finance to thermodynamics and sex to special relativity. And I handed it to my editor at Faber, and he said, I really like your book, Marcus, but this, this chapter on cosmology is complete bollocks. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, oh, no, have I written it really badly? But he was just an outsider looking in yeah. and seeing that, that it does actually seem a bit mad. Yeah. <laughs> and so is it possible, this, is, it, is the multiverse thing, is that an accepted theory now that there's all... A, a, an infinite number of universes, so everything that yeah. possibly could happen is happening somewhere. This so is, is there a universe somewhere where I'm more successful than Stuart Lee? Yes. <laughs> or are some things just constant? <laughs> well, this is, this is actually cosmology's dirty... <laughs> this is actually cosmology's dirty little secret, the yeah. thing that cosmologists don't tell you except in a whisper, and that is that you're, you're right. Um, an un, a, a unavoidable consequence of our standard picture of the universe and our standard picture of physics, which is quantum theory, is that there are, there are an infinite number of realities where we're having this conversation, yeah. or copies of us are having this conversation. And in fact, I can tell you how far away the nearest universe, or the nearest bit of space is where we're having this conversation. Well, how far away is it? It's, uh, in metres, it's 10 to the power of 10 to the power of 28 metres away. So if you, imagine, if you imagine one... Followed by 10 billion, billion, oh, billion, billion, billion zeros, yeah. metres. Yeah, That's... I thought because it was metres it wouldn't be that far away. <laughs> I thought you'd have bumped up to kilometres for... So... <laughs> if, it was, if it was further... But there are an infinite number of realities where we're, we're where, where you won the lottery last week, yeah. where, where Ian Duncan Smith tells the truth, you know, where the... Where the the, the, the dinosaurs were not wiped out by an asteroid 65 million years ago, but, but went on to invent motor cars. There's so many different types of infinity, though, because you could just say there's a universe that's exactly the, the same, except that I've, when I got my hair cut the other day, they, did, they didn't cut that hair. Everything else is the same. Well, and and then, you know, so there's, there's... It's worse than that. There's an infinite number of universes like that. <laughs> yeah, OK. But what I'm saying is that... What I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying is that this is, this is an unavoidable consequence of the standard picture... So you either believe it's correct or you believe there's something wrong with the standard picture. Isn't it possible just to have an infinite amount of stuff that's different? That's my there, point. There why, that why, well. why does the same things have to come up again? Well, there, because there, like, there's so many... Yeah. You know, every sperm that gets through, yeah. if a different sperm that got through, it's, that changes everything, hmm. in, surely an infinite amount of times already. Well, according to the standard picture, all possible histories happen yeah. each an infinite number of times. So, yeah... But you're talking to me about, about the multiverse, and, and it does appear that, that nature is banging us over the head uh, and telling us from many different directions that this is not the only universe. Yeah. Um, and, um, and it's, but it's an emerging model. We don't know how all the bits fit together, but, yeah, we we're definitely getting that idea. I mean, for instance, in a trivial way, um, if, if we imagine the universe was born, okay, 13.82 billion years ago, and that means that we can only see the objects in the universe whose light, light has taken less than 13.82 billion years to get here. Yeah. Stuff that would take, whose light would take 14 billion years, this light's still on the way. So because of that, our universe uh, of 100 billion galaxies uh, is, is like a bubble. It's bounded by a horizon. Uh, inside the horizon is all the things where the light's got here. Outside the horizon, all the things where the light hasn't got here. 
And in the standard, so, so imagine our universe is like a little bubble. Uh, in the standard picture, the universe is inflation. The universe is infi infinite. So there are an infinite number of other bubbles beyond ours, each with 100 billion galaxies, each have had different histories. Yeah. So um, in, in a trivial way, uh, there is a lot more to the universe than the bit that we see. There is, but not everything would necessarily happen. That's what I'm saying. So if it's me... I don't want to get too technical into this. But if it's me, right, so there's another universe that's me, and I'm the 100 metre... Copy of you. Yeah, a copy of me that's identical exactly genetically copy. identical. Yes. That, I, I will never be the 100 metre world champion. So there isn't a universe where that well, happens. I mean, so there's a, there's, a, there's a boundary to it, that someone yeah. like me in a universe yes. where there are people who can well, run faster The laws than of me. physics do apply in these universes. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, But then again... <laughs> So it's just not, it's not like anything. It's, there isn't a universe where Amy Pond and 13 from House burst in through the door and start having sex with me. That would, that is, well, it might that, be. There isn't, I can tell you. <laughs> I would know. I would still be able to feel that <laughs> just psychically if it was happening to one of me okay. somewhere. But you might think to yourself, would you ever meet another Richard Herring? Well, yeah, uh, because at, quite a lot of them. And at the moment, at the, moment the, the horizon of the universe expands all the time. I mean, uh, next year light from more distant objects will reach yeah. us because it, obviously as the universe gets older. But the trouble is that the next Richard Herring is so far away that, that by the time the horizon of the universe expanded to include two Richard Herrings, you know, all the stars would have died and gone out. Yeah. So, is he still called Richard Herring in the other universes or do people... Richard Herring B. <laughs> is that... <laughs> Sure, they'd have an infinite number of different names for that. Yes, thing. but of course, actually, odd enough, <laughs> odd enough, uh, you you're not going to actually overlap with your second Richard Herring, uh, unfortunately. We've I now known, if I keep eating as much uh, as at the moment. Uh, even if he's like a, a, a you know long dead husk. Yes. Because <laughs> because inflation. Uh, well, sorry, because of uh, a discovery of dark energy in 1998, this means the universe is expanding faster and faster and faster. This means that pretty soon the horizon will start shrinking. So actually, we won't, you won't ever meet your other Richard Herring. Eventually, in 100 billion years' time, the horizon will shrink so much that there'll only be one galaxy in it. We'll be the only kind of galaxy in the village. You know, that'll yeah. be it. So, that's a bit sad. And then, but then what will happen after that? <laughs> well, the stars will gradually go out, it'll get very dark, and, uh, and uh, eventually even the subatomic particles will disintegrate, so it sounds a bit sad, really. <laughs> the universe will end with, uh, you know, a whimper rather than a bang. Yeah, it bummed me out a bit towards the end. It was cool, quite, po quite like the idea of that Richard Herring having a good time, winning the 100 metres. Uh, <laughs> and now he's all going to be in a husk and oh, in the dark. I'm sorry um, about that. Do you think we'll ever go faster than the speed of light? And why can't we go faster than the speed of light? It doesn't seem that fast. We can to go me. faster than the speed of light. The universe. Okay. Uh, I mean, for instance, the the universe is uh, to the to the uh, to the horizon is forty two. About forty. Bizarrely, it's about forty two billion light years to the horizon. So the universe is about eighty two billion light years across. So the universe has only exist for th existed for thirteen point eight two billion years. So clearly. Is expanded faster than the speed of light. Yeah. It expanded faster than the speed of light in its first split second during inflationary period. Okay, because, because yes, yes, the speed of light is the ultimate limit, but that was in Einstein's special theory of relativity of 1905. Right. He then generalised it in 1915, <laughs> his general theory of relativity, and in that theory, the universe can expand faster than the speed of light, yeah. and it did. So, will we be able to go faster than the speed of light and travel to other worlds? Travel, travel worlds, faster yeah. than the speed of light. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, probably not. Uh, I reckon we will be able to. 
reckon that's what's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, the big problem is that, that you, were, you were saying, why is the speed of light the limit? Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes we just look at the, the universe is constructed that way. But um, uh, if something was infinitely fast, you could never catch it up. Okay. Yeah. Unless I had an infinity plus one yeah. spaceship. For some reason that we don't understand, yeah. the speed of light plays the role of infinity, infinite speed yeah. in our universe. It's constructed in that way, so we can never get there because it's effectively infinite speed. But. And what's outside the universe, what's there, what is it expanding into? Well, <laughs> when we talk about the expansion of the universe, I mean, what, what, the, what Einstein's theory of gravity uh, describes is simply objects in the universe getting further apart. So really all it does is, it, by expansion, you just mean that, that the galaxies are getting further and further apart. So it doesn't actually t- we're not actually t- talking about the universe expanding into anything. Uh, and if it's infinite then it's like an infinite cake, you know, with, 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 infinite, with raisins in and it's, it's growing and, and everything's getting further away from everything else. It could be infinite in extent or it could curve back on itself like the, you know, the three-dimensional equivalent of the surface of a ball or something. But, but, but the, the theory uh, of Einstein's theory applied to the universe does not describe an outside. The universe, by definition, is all there is. Yeah. You just ignore the things that I talk about and say that doesn't exist. It must, there must be something out there. Well, I did say it? at the beginning that, I, you know, that, 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 that um, um, I might not be completely convincing. <laughs> it's been very good. I think we will... I'll just check there's nothing else uh, I had to ask you that was important. Do you think, is there anybody who still believes in the steady state theory of, uh, that Fred Hoyle championed for such a long time that the universe isn't expanding? There still are, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Fred Hoyle, that's so interesting because, as you say, in a 1949 BBC radio programme, he coined the term Big Bang. And, uh, and, and as you say, it, it gives completely the wrong picture in every, every way because, I mean, an explosion occurs at a single point and the Big Bang happened everywhere. And uh, in an explosion, the shrapnel goes out into a pre-existing void and there was no pre-existing void, so it's not a good description. You're, you're right. But, uh, but Hoyle, uh, yeah, how do you explain, the, 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 you know, there's, there's an alternative explanation to, what, to, to the expansion of the universe, you know. It may not have all uh, appeared in a, a single, you know, localised bit. It could be that as the universe expands, uh, you know, the galaxies are further apart, matter fountains out of nothing in between the galaxies and creates new galaxies. So they always look the same, that's the steady state. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was dealt a killer blow, really, in 1965 by the discovery of the heat afterglow of the Big Bang, the cosmic microwave background, which uh, uh, is the stuff that if you tune your television between the stations, you'll see. Yeah. Actually, 99.9% of the photons of light in the universe are tied up in this afterglow of the Big Bang, and only 0.1% in, the, uh, in, in light from galaxies and stars. So that, that kind of heat after, afterglow... Uh, it was very difficult for Hoyle and, uh, to explain. But, but there's still people that hang on to this. They call it the crazy steady-state theory now. <laughs> and they all tend to be uh, disciples of Fred Hoyle. But yes, it's a minority view. It's hard, don't it? Because people will decide something and then someone comes along and tells you your, your whole life's work has been a waste of time. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's well, a bit sad. I feel sorry for Fred but, Hoyle. He seemed but, like a nice guy. But he was absolutely brilliant, though, because uh, Hoyle... Hoyle um, I mean, they, I think Bronowski said, a genius is someone who has two good ideas. 
And, and he had two good ideas. I mean, he figured out where all the elements in your body were made, you know, the iron in your blood, the oxygen that fills your lungs, the calcium in your bones. He figured out how they're all made inside stars. Uh, and he also came up with the steady state theory. Now, the steady state theory was wrong, but it predicted that if we looked out across the universe, it would always be the same. But when we look out across the universe, we see, and we see further back in time, we see it was different. So it was falsifiable. Yeah. So, uh, and, and also, often when Hoyle was wrong, he started a, a new field of science. So he, he, he was trying to explain something in, in the 40s, and he, and he believed that stars accreted material or whatever. Um, he was just trying to understand something about stars. He was wrong. But it turns out that accretion is one of the principal processes happening in the universe. You know, giant black holes are accreting material. So even sometimes when he was wrong, he was right. Yeah. He should have got the Nobel Prize. Yeah, he didn't know, but he's dead now, it doesn't matter. Uh, he got the Big Bang, you know, he, the Big Bang was named after his idea. That must have been, cheered him up. Uh, so... it, did, it did cheer him up. And he also believed that life came from space. But he, yeah. he always believed that would never be um, proven in his lifetime. Right. He was right. He was right. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause for Marcus Chown. Thank you. Thank you.